For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay, um... Ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Oh, they make you cry? No! Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No! Layers! Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers? You get it. We both have layers. Welcome to the graveyard slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sohini. And today, we're talking about Shrek. Shrek is a play on the classic Beauty and the Beast fairy tale, where a grumpy ogre named Shrek inadvertently becomes the hero of the story when he's sent on a quest to rescue a princess. The movie was released in 2001, and it was directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicky Jensen. Andrew Adamson also directed Shrek 2, and movies in Vicky Jensen's filmography include Shark Tale and Madagascar 2. I don't even know how to get started on the writers. This movie was written by a million, a million people. <laughs> It was written by a group of writers who have also worked on other movies that are in a similar vein as Shrek, such as Aladdin, The Road to El Dorado, Treasure Planet, Mulan 2, Shrek 2, <laughs> and so on. And the movie was actually based on a children's book of the same name by William Steig or Steig William. It was written by William. I know him well. We're on a first name basis. Well, while Shrek kicked off an entire franchise, is fondly remembered by a whole generation of kids and adults alike, and has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 88%, it's still a movie that doesn't quite get taken seriously. Perhaps this is because of its computer animation, label of a kid's movie, or its overwhelmingly comedic nature. Whatever it is, today we're here to discuss its merits regardless of reputation, and discuss what is one of Sohini's favorite movies, Shrek. <laughs> Well said. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, based on the number of references I made to Shrek, I think it would be dishonest of me to deny that. Yeah, this is your favorite movie, but I don't have any recollection of the movie, so this felt like a first-time watch for me. And there's a review that reflects my thoughts on my almost first impression. So this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer, and it reads, The humor of the script constantly confounds expectations, and yet Shrek still manages to say all the right things to children. I was very surprised to buy a lot of aspects of this movie. While the humor is the one thing that I had heard about, I didn't expect it to this extent. And that goes for the plot and the characterization and just the entire movie, basically. So it exceeds all of my expectations. And it's still just as meaningful as any other quote-unquote children's movie. Yeah, I agree. I'm just confused by the phrasing of the review because I can't figure out if it's positive or negative when it says it confounds expectations. It's positive, I think. Okay. Well, you know what? I think the ambiguous nature of that does fit my take on it. In the sense that, like, I mean it positively, but it is confounding. <laughs> I will say. Fair enough. I think the review that I found is kind of similar. It's from Time Out, and it reads, Gag by Gag, and there's a stream. It's merrily irreverent, visually and vocally. The bigger picture, though, is rather more conventional. So it has that similar take on the humor, but with the second statement about it being conventional, I can kind of see it because even though Shrek takes the conventional fairy tale and I would say does a pretty good job of turning it on its head, the ending is pretty standard when you compare it to other similar stories. But I think in a way, this is probably what the movie needed. Yeah. It's nice to see different kinds of characters get the same type of ending that conventional fairy tale characters usually get. It serves the message of the movie. I think that's the point in a way. Yeah, I agree. To me, the statement is more about the message than it is, say, about the ending or like about the plot specifically. As in, you know, it's about not judging books by its cover or, you know, loving yourself and friendship and blah, blah, blah. I'm not quite sure what the review is going for. To me, it sounds less like a compliment. But when I think about it, that's actually pretty great. In a micro sense, it feels so off the wall and so bizarre. But then when you look at it, it's still teaching really 
basic in the best way possible <laughs> messages you know so it's like saying like see even if we wanted to say these messages that we we do want to teach say younger kids or literally anyone we can still take really creative routes and have fun with it and that for me is definitely in the plus column for shrek yeah that's a great point with a movie like this it definitely could have gotten very out of hand and i think the shrek sequels actually excluding the second movie kind of fall into that trap because it just keeps getting more and more ridiculous without that grounding message I mean, I think you can probably reduce most stories down to its very basics and give it a very simplistic message. I don't know what exactly they want from Shrek that they think <laughs> other movies are doing. You know what they want? They want cake. <laughs> but Shrek is an onion. Exactly. I'm saying that as a joke, but I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. It, I think that metaphor works well for the movie because maybe it's not for everybody, but it doesn't have to be. I think it's also that, quote, conventional message that makes it so timeless. For sure. It goes against anyone who would want to say like, well, we want to teach kids ABC, so we have to go with this. So we have to do what we've always done. This is like proof that that's not true, you know? Mm -hmm. So we will be discussing this movie in chronological order as usual. And so Hini, do you want to start us off? <laughs> sure. The movie begins with scenes of Shrek just living his life and in the meantime there are some villagers who are planning to attack him and turn him in for a reward. I really like the parallels between Shrek's life and the montage of the villagers preparing to attack him. There's this shot of them grabbing weapons while he's grabbing a spoon to eat and the fire in his fireplace is mirrored in the fire of their torches. I think from the very start, the movie is making a very clear point because it's Shrek who's supposed to be the so-called monster, but the humans are the ones who are preparing for violence while Shrek is just minding his own business. It's such a strong start. I mean, there are some more juvenile gags in there, especially in the beginning, I would say, when yeah. they're introducing Shrek. Maybe that's also the movie, like Shrek, kind of scaring away anyone who isn't <laughs> gonna be sticking around for the long haul you know what i mean if you can't get through <laughs> the slightly juvenile jokes that you don't deserve shrek at its best <laughs> that's a great way to look at it and justify the fart jokes <laughs> i also really like how shrek plays into expectations and the stereotypes and everything I think it's easy to get to a place where Shrek is and just decide to keep to yourself and it's easier to just shut people out so that you don't get hurt and like even play into certain stereotypes or expectations so that you don't have to deal with them at all instead of fighting against it. And while obviously Shrek's growth is partly about him changing this attitude, I think there's something to how the movie doesn't quite demonize him for it. Like it is a flaw of his, but it's clear who the bad guys are here and you understand why he's acting this way yeah you're right the movie doesn't judge shrek for the way he is yeah he does take some kind of pleasure in <laughs> acting the part but it's not like shrek is going out of his way to be like this it's not like it's in his hands really in the fairy tale book he was reading in the beginning there's this illustration of knights facing off against a dragon and there are multiple times where he's facing off against people and he's repeatedly treated in an eerily similar way throughout the movie people always have their weapons pointed at him so it's like he has to put up a wall it's like a fairy tale story but it's for the monster it's for the dragon that you're supposed to slay mm -hmm. and yeah like you said we see people treating him that way over and over again here somebody saves fiona from him as if he's the big bat that's keeping her hostage well, we see this prejudice in a lot of the people in the area because Lord Farquaad actually has decided that he's sending away all of the fairy tale creatures and people can get rewards for turning them in. And a lot of people do. A lot of people are very unapologetically, literally rounding up their fellow citizens and getting them sent away. And watching this as an adult and like basically as a first time viewer, it was really shocking to me how unambiguous it is and it's not like other you know fairy tale movies or whatever don't have this aspect but i think it's because we're following shrek and he's part of that community 
usually in other movies or stories or whatever, when we are shown or told that certain characters are being treated unfairly and the system is unjust and yada yada yada, we are still looking at it from the perspective of someone who isn't being affected by this rule and they are merely empathetic towards their friends or whoever. Here it just feels more personal because you really are in Shrek's shoes. You understand the minutia of what it is he's going through because like we said, we see it happen over and over and over and over again and that's just what life is for a lot of people even in the real world. I think this is what it is. The scene where they're getting rounded up and taken away, we are literally looking at what could happen to Shrek. I think you hit the nail on the head. So the fun does kick off when Donkey escapes and runs into Shrek. And he's got this horde of knights chasing him. And luckily, Shrek is there to scare them off. (laughs) And so Donkey basically just becomes attached to Shrek because he knows he'll be safe. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a bad strategy. It's pretty effective. (laughs) The part that stood out to me, actually, there's... A line where I think Shrek is trying to figure out why the hell Donkey's following him around. And he, you know, spouts a bunch of stuff about why it would not be favorable for Donkey to be around him. And basically, they finally hit on the point that Shrek is an ogre. And Donkey, like, doesn't care at all. And Shrek is taken aback by it. He was like, wait, you don't care that I'm an ogre? And Donkey's like, no, it's it's cool. (laughs) And then Shrek immediately backs down. He doesn't necessarily offer friendship, but he's not as aggressive anymore. And that says a lot, I think. Definitely. He's just so used to people treating him that way that he resorts to his usual methods. He even roars in Donkey's (laughs) face the same way he did with those villagers in the first scene. And so you can see that a lot of Shrek's behavior is a reaction to what's happening to him rather than an inherent part of his character. So Donkey stays with him, but he doesn't share his home or anything. At least he doesn't think he's sharing (laughs) his home. (laughs) What he doesn't know is that his swamp was exactly where Lord Farquaad had sent off all the fairy tales creatures. So now he's surrounded by like hundreds of other characters. You know, Shrek ain't too happy about that. And you know what? I feel for him. I would be very upset if people just started living in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, fair reaction. So he decides to go and confront Lord Farquaad. This kind of relates to what we were talking about before with the shift in perspective. Because with the other fairy tale creatures, Shrek is hailed as some kind of hero. I think it's maybe some fairies who drape a cape on his shoulders that he immediately (laughs) shrugs off. He yells at everybody and he's like, I'm going to go to Lord Farquaad and I'm going to get you the fuck off my lawn. (laughs) And there's silence and then everyone starts cheering because they don't want to be on his lawn. They've been displaced. And it's so funny to look at it from Shrek's perspective because he doesn't care. He just wants his space back. It's Lord Farquaad's introduction next. Yes. We see him interrogating the gingerbread man about where the other fairy tale creatures are. I love the lower angle they have in the beginning to try to make him seem all tall and intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) Very premature of him. It is. This is one hell of an introduction. I love how unambiguous they are about Lord Farquaad being the bad guy. And not just a bad guy, but a very malicious guy, a very violent guy. I mean, this gingerbread man is tortured. It almost pokes fun at the rules of our society, you know? Like, we can't have this on screen in a children's movie because it's a gingerbread man. So I think this is actually a really funny dig at our society as well and our values and even like the rules and restrictions of media, like on TV or in movies, especially children's movies. People who are asking for kids' movies to be even more sanitized. You don't have to do that. The kids aren't going to get it. They're not going to look at this and be like, this is a torture scene. They're going to see a gingerbread man. Some rules or some values are quite shallow. It's all a little arbitrary to some extent. And I think it's great commentary. So Lord Farquaad mentions that he thinks fairy tale creatures are, quote, poisoning his perfect world and asks the magic mirror whether he has the most perfect kingdom. He uses this word multiple times throughout the movie. He wants everything to be flawless. Yeah. The way this is worded really paints a picture for me that he doesn't want fairy tale creatures poisoning his lands. Clearly, he's searching for what in his eyes is purity. 
And it's clear to me from this point on what he's supposed to represent, what this movie is an allegory for, what story they're telling. He's mid-interrogation when his minions bring in a magic mirror who tells him that he doesn't in fact have the most perfect kingdom because he's not a king yet. That all he has to do is marry a princess. And there's this bachelorette style scene where he has the pick of three princesses and <laughs> he gets to choose who it is he wants to marry. What I love actually is the way this is presented because yes, it's a play on like shows like The Bachelor and other dating shows, but it's also a play specifically on game shows with rewards. Oh, like door one, two, or three. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's just a play on so many different formats and media. Specifically with the game show thing, it is framing these women, these people, as rewards, as gifts. It's a bit of a commentary on that. And I thought that was really fun. And Farquaad's pick of Fiona actually seems completely arbitrary as well. And he makes things unnecessarily difficult for himself. I guess he never really intends to find the princesses himself, but whoever it was wouldn't have had to face off with a dragon and boiling lava and whatever. It's even more interesting that he calls her perfect even though he randomly chose her and it's like in a way both Shrek and Fiona face the same oh, thing yeah. because they're being judged by people before they get to know them. My take on it is that he does choose Fiona for a reason because he thinks she is pure because he's only looking at her on the surface. See it's because everyone's yelling at him in the background telling him to choose mm. different <laughs> oh, I numbers. Love Very deal or no deal. And the one closest to him is yelling, pick number three. And so he just seems to settle on it very randomly. I thought he chose Fiona because of the glory that precedes gaining her hand in marriage. So even though he isn't the one who will do that, he does still see his soldiers' accomplishments as his own. That was the impression that I got, that he chose Fiona because of the dragon. That could be it. But yeah, he announces the tournament to find a knight who can go rescue her. Yes, and this is when Shrek finally gets to Duloc. Yeah, Shrek and Donkey are approaching the castle and there's this guy who's supposed to be welcoming visitors for the tournament. He's also like in a giant bobblehead. Yeah, and he just runs screaming in horror when he sees Shrek but there's a roped off queue behind him. So he just starts weaving through the rows. <laughs> it's so funny. They do such a good job of portraying it. It's an amazing visual gag. Especially in contrast to Shrek, who's literally just standing there. And it takes so long <laughs> for him to work his way through all the rows. And then he gets to the end and he bumps into a wall and he collapses anyway. So like the whole thing was just pointless. But what I thought is he could have squeezed through the gap between the barriers. There's a space on either side. But even in his panic, he takes the full route through these rows and then ends up bumping against the wall and collapsing anyway. And I just thought maybe it raises some questions about the kind of place Farquaad is running and the consequences of unthinkingly following the rules even when you think you're in peril. And these actions of his are what put him in peril. It's not Shrek in the end. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking more of like, you see that somebody that's likened more to Farquaad is more likely to say take the proper route or whatever, but it's not necessarily the right one. And Shrek is more of a guy who just kind of takes his own shortcut and that's not a bad thing either. Yeah, that's a great way to read it. Especially considering the giant head <laughs> the guy is wearing is... A likeness of Farquaad. Yeah, he's representing Farquaad. So they finally get into Duloc and it is eerie as hell. <laughs> There's no one around. It looks like a quote-unquote perfect town. It's very picturesque, I guess you could say. I mean, debatable. I guess it's like a medieval suburb. <laughs> and the only thing they encounter is this, I guess like a mechanical miniature choir. And they start singing something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a national anthem meets like a touristy, commercialized theme song for a company or a corporation. Like a jingle. Yeah, like a jingle. In the best way possible. Like, I, I think it's great the way they, like, nailed that middle ground. 
it really highlights the fucked up nature of it. Yeah, I can totally see the commercialized part, especially because we get shots of shops that are selling souvenirs, and they're all Farquad. <laughs> they're like Farquad toys. It's interesting that it sounds like a national anthem to you because for me, it's more like a nursery rhyme or something, especially because they have kids singing it. And that makes it especially creepy to me because it's like the brainwashing starts <laughs> pretty early. Yeah. They even have a character who's singing this song from prison. It's like blatantly ignoring the quote, imperfect things happening and forcing this idea of some kind of utopia. I think the fact that somebody's seeing it from prison is less about like ignoring the clear dystopia of his life, but it's more about the fact that they're in prison. They're clearly under duress to sing this. I mean, they might be singing it because they're forced to, to pretend that it is a utopia, or they're singing it in protest. Like, look at me, I'm in prison and I'm singing the song about how our place is a utopia. Before this whole thing starts, they also have elevator music playing when Shrek and Donkey are looking around. Yes! And that heightened the creepiness yeah. so much. <laughs> the mundanity of the music contrasting with such an unusual sight. The streets are all empty and it's all perfectly clean and it felt like a set. Yeah! Elevator music is the most inoffensive music. Everything is sanitized. It's the only kind of music that is pure, I guess, and that's why it's there. It's the only kind of music that Farquaad can stand. <laughs> it also hides the creep factor because we're used to hearing elevator music in crowded public places. So to see it in this eerie town is so not quite dissonant, but it highlights how creepy it is. And I think this is a great example of the way Shrek balances the fairy tale elements and the modern elements because it's set in a medieval-esque time. But Shrek does finally find Duloc's citizens. And they're watching the tournament where all of these knights are fighting and when Shrek arrives, they start fighting him. And there's this really funny sequence where they're fighting basically like in a boxing ring. <laughs> <laughs> The way Shrek fights back is so smart. Like, yeah, he's got brawn, but he's also got brains. And this stays so consistent throughout the movie where Shrek is always so strategic about what he's doing. And it's so fun to watch. It's clear that he's a very intelligent guy. And I don't, I don't think that's even like the movie subverting expectations. It was never on the table that Shrek was dumb. That was never part of his character. No, but it was definitely part of the perception of his character. And he's constantly proving that it's a misconception. It's just that no one notices. <laughs> In in his universe, I mean. I think it's actually really interesting the way the movie does that because it's so clear that they're never proving it to us. We're always in the know. We always understand who Shrek is. And like I said, because we we are <laughs> they never even entertain the idea of Shrek being a typical ogre. And I think this is helped a lot by the fact that it's clear Shrek is never actually buying into these stereotypes. Like, he's so self-assured. Like, his flaw is that he's a little rude and he's jaded and he's closed off. But his flaw was never that he lacked self-confidence in the sense of his abilities or whatever. Yeah, I actually also really like seeing the audience in this scene because before, Farquaad had people holding up signs telling them to applaud. But when Shrek is fighting the knights, this is the first time we see a genuine reaction from them. It's almost like they forget that Shrek's an ogre. That still doesn't make it okay what they are complicit in. Maybe a part of it is that they still see him as an object, but part of it could also be genuine for once. I think it's both. And I think it's great the way the movie does this because they sufficiently highlight the fact that while they too are under an oppressive system and under Farquaad's tyranny, they are still complicit and they are every day still choosing to play into the system and there is a choice there. I don't think the movie makes a statement one way or another, but I do think that it's interesting the way they show this complexity. You're right. I actually also really like how this instructional signs are introduced. It is a show, it's a tournament, and especially with it being like a boxing match, it's more fitting 
that there are signs and that's also an aspect of real life boxing and shows with live studio audiences these people are just like seed fillers and it's tiring if you've heard from anyone who fills seats at these things it is exhausting to always be on all the time so it also evokes that sense and that feeling in the scene where you understand that these people are performing i really like that the signs are introduced in a scene where it is fitting and it's part of the joke but it stays it also starts popping up everywhere else where it's becoming less and less fitting and i love that revelation that it's not just the joke of that scene it is the the fact of life of these people they are full-time studio audiences and it's interesting that the last place we see it is at farquad and fiona's wedding it's also like how does farquad see his own mm, wedding that's it's interesting also like a show but anyway we skipped way ahead <laughs> To bring it back, Trek wins, basically. He beats everyone up, so Farquaad saves face and says, Great, Trek will get me Fiona. And he's promised back his land if he does this. So Shrek and Donkey are walking through this field of sunflowers, and Donkey's really confused why Shrek gave in, why he didn't just fight Farquaad the way he did those nights. This part was really interesting to me because Donkey... He doesn't know enough to be scared of Shrek, but even he regurgitates the same thing that the villagers did in the beginning about grinding bones to make bread. <laughs> this is where we kind of see one of Shrek's lairs get peeled away, I guess, where he admits that a lot of what people see about Shrek are just assumptions. It's not like he wants to be violent. And if there's a way to resolve this peacefully, he's gonna do it. It's also not in his nature. It's not like he's holding back or anything. And that's not what Shrek did previously. When he scared off, you know, the humans with pitchforks or when he scared off whoever else, he was playing at it. He is suggesting that he will do it as they expect him, but he never actually does it. So it's really believable that he wouldn't choose that route to get out of this because he never did. He's only done it like in self-defense or whatever, like with the knights. Yeah. This is also where Shrek compares ogres to onions. <laughs> and it works on so many levels because there's... So many layers. Donkey kind of misunderstanding the comparison. Yeah. And then he's insisting that Shrek compare ogres to something more appealing. Appealing. <laughs> Less appealing, I would say. <laughs> to something more inoffensive like cakes and parfaits. And it just says so much with so little. I this scene and this conversation and this line so so much when donkey starts going into the cake metaphor he says you're like cake everybody loves cake and the point is that he isn't cake not everybody likes him and that's just who he is and that's fine everybody's an onion nobody <laughs> is liked by everybody and it's not just about the fact that people have misperceptions of ogres it's the fact that some things about ogres are unpleasant they aren't perfect to begin with and that's who he is and he's happy with that i love that shrek won't back down he knows who he is he knows that what the world thinks of him is wrong he knows that the way he's treated is wrong and i love that that isn't part of his journey not part of his character arc at all. I like that he's allowed by this movie to be the one who says this, that it is the one who is being discriminated against, who is speaking up for themselves. That's a great point. So after this, we get a montage. <laughs> <laughs> it's Shrek and Donkey traveling to the castle, and they finally get there, and there's this rickety bridge over boiling lava. Donkey's terrified. With good reason. <laughs> You know what I found really interesting is the fact that it was never a question of like Shrek just going alone. Shrek was like, oh, we'll just do it together. It's fine. Like he kind of forgot that he wanted Donkey to leave him. I think it's really funny that they kind of bond over this journey. Yeah. And Shrek even adopts Donkey's really, really throughout the movie. Because <laughs> here he says it kind of disingenuously. He's yeah. just humoring Donkey to try and get him across the bridge. But he says it again to Fiona later in the movie. That's and so I thought sweet. that's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true to life. You do kind of adopt your friend's mannerisms over time. Another aspect to Shrek's character that I really like actually is that he is a fucking asshole. Because <laughs> on this bridge, Donkey is clearly <laughs> genuinely terrified. Like it's not a joke or anything. And Shrek still shakes the bridge and like scares him and everything. I mean, obviously he is misunderstood in other ways, but he is also 
mean and rude and it doesn't mean he's less deserving of being treated like anybody else like i love that that he's not somebody who's being say discriminated against and isn't it just so sad because he's actually such a nice person like that has nothing to do with it i adore that aspect of his character yeah he's just horrible in different ways (laughs) he won't grind your bones but he will (laughs) shake the rickety fridge yeah They do make it to the other side. Yes, and they stumble upon the dragon in the castle. And Shrek is trying to rescue Donkey when the dragon basically launches him into the highest room in the tallest tower where the princess is supposed to be. And this is where we get introduced to Fiona. I love her introduction that she is clearly playing a role. Not necessarily that she's faking anything, but when she sees that somebody's coming to quote-unquote save her, (laughs) she like lays down and like gets ready and grabs like a bouquet to hold. (laughs) She knows exactly what she should be doing in this role of a damsel in distress and she plays it to perfection (laughs) or near perfection at least. Yeah, I think it does a great job of poking fun at movies like Sleeping Beauty, you know, just effortlessly looking perfect, even in slumber. I think there are some parallels with Enchanted in this movie, the way that it plays with fairy tale tropes and subverts them. But what I really like about this movie in particular is that it does take place in a fairy tale world and it brings so many expectations with it. And not only that, but it brings so many personas who are common fixtures in this world. And we can almost see these characters struggling to live up to that persona or adopting that persona with effort. It's such an interesting way of subverting our expectations. It was enchanted. It's like fairy tale elements in the real world. And then Shrek is modern elements in a fairy tale world, which is what disenchanted is missing. But I digress. Yeah, let's not get into that. <laughs> but basically, Shrek quote unquote saves Fiona and they get out of there. Yep. For one, the way they trap the dragon is again Shrek being really skilled and strategic. But also I really like when they escape how they're on the bridge but it's like severed and so they're climbing up and the bridge turns into a ladder and I don't have any like deep thematic reading of it but I just like it. I thought it was (laughs) clever and great visually as well. Yeah, I have half a reading on it. I won't (laughs) say it's deep or anything. It's gonna sound very cliche but there is a recurring thing about things not being what they seem on the surface but more than that it's like what's supposed to be dangerous becomes the saving grace yeah becomes a resource becomes a helping hand almost yeah you're right the dragon is an obstacle but the dragon is what launches shrek into the tower so he finds fiona and the dragon is also what saves them at the end yeah and shrek himself is the biggest example of this actually the first thing that comes to mind when you mentioned that is the fact that fiona's curse is what frees her at the end she's grappling with her identity and what she's supposed to be as a princess and the ideals of beauty forced upon her and the curse on the surface is turning her into this ugly creature that is not befitting of a princess but as you said it frees her kind of from herself it frees her from that mindset i think it also saves her from her role specifically her role to marry lord farquaad especially so they do get out of there and they trek over back to Duloc and on the way, you know, it gets a little late, Fiona gets a little jittery, <laughs> but they end up camping out so that Fiona can sleep the night off in a cave somewhere. And there's the scene between Trek and Donkey under the stars and I thought it was really cute because they're bonding and they're becoming friends and they still annoy the hell out of each other or rather Donkey annoys the hell out of Shrek, <laughs> but they're becoming better friends. Yeah. I love the dynamic between Shrek and Donkey. They're just at extreme opposites. And that's why Shrek needs someone like Donkey, who half the time doesn't even pay that much attention to the insults that Shrek is often hurling. (laughs) Shrek just needs someone like Donkey who is willing to give it all into the friendship and fight for it. Yeah. I was gonna say, like, not only does he say ignore (laughs) Shrek's rudeness, but he actively fights against it. The next morning, Fiona is doing her trilly little singing with a bird. But she ends up killing the bird and eating her eggs. Yep. Another fun take on the princess singing to wildlife. Yeah. (laughs) But 
after this, they continue on their way, and this is when they're intercepted by Robin Hood, and Fiona fights him and his men off. This is such a great scene, because <laughs> it's like some of the, quote, strong female characters we see in recent movies. It's kind of shoved in your face that they're strong, and some of the time that's seen as an antithesis to them being feminine or stuff like that but with Fiona it's a natural part of her character that doesn't need to be shown off and when it's needed this is a skill that she uses to get them out of trouble. I think that this shows that Fiona was perfectly capable of getting out of that tower if she wanted to. It's just that she was caught up in what's supposed to happen. The fact that she was there at all is for the role. Because if she frees herself, she's not going to get true love's kiss and she's not going to get to break the curse. Yeah, it's not about being saved. It's about getting to what she was looking for. It's getting her happily ever after. Yeah, it's about her goals. She's a goal-oriented woman. <laughs> career woman a girl boss you might say <laughs> i thought it was interesting how the number that they did here is about like robin hood not being as noble as he seems to be or rather that somebody who presents himself to be that kind of person who's noble isn't it is a bit of a persona mm -hmm. everything's turned on its head the royal leader is the villain and Robin Hood, who is typically depicted as a savior figure, is also shady and the monster is the hero and the beauty is also the beast. <laughs> so yeah, it makes sense. Now that I put it that way, I can kind of see why some reviews called the movie jaded. But that's what makes it fun. I don't... this is... like, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> interesting that they said that because i don't think that it is like if they were really jaded then they wouldn't still play out shrek and his relationships with fiona and donkey the way that they did because those are still playing into fairy tales tropes yeah i don't think it's necessarily like a disillusionment with these right. tropes or anything they're just having fun with them it's like a donkey that's a royal steed <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah, so it's interesting that they would use the word jaded. Well, I saw two. And so that's too, too many. Two was enough for it to be a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they get away from the Robin Hood guys. And Shrek has an arrow in his ass. Not that ass, his actual ass. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, Fiona gets it out for him. But they do, you know, have a little moment. Which leads us into another montage. <laughs> Yeah. This time, Shrek and Fiona getting to know each other, and we find out that they are quite similar. They both um, are gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually really like the scene where they're sitting on a log and they're talking right before sunset. Yeah, they stall before they get to Duloc so that they can spend another day together. That's really cute. I also like that they're quite shy with each other, and I just... Thought it was adorable the way they were acting. But yeah, Fiona has to hide away because the sun is about to set and she's gonna turn into an ogre, if you haven't caught on. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Donkey is the one who discovers Fiona's secret and Percy's horrified. But he realizes what's happening and he tries to reassure her. Which, by the way, is really funny because I don't think Fiona looks particularly... Like, she doesn't look that bad. Even, like, as an ogre, she looks still, like... She's still a very, like, feminine and conventionally attractive ogre. <laughs> She's slightly more, you know, stout and slightly yeah. more... She's just green. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say. It's not easy being green. <laughs> Great point. There's this part where Fiona is telling Donkey about the curse and she recites the lines of the verse and it pans from her reflection to her own self when she mentions love's true form. I thought that's great foreshadowing because we see her ogre self when right. she's talking about love's true form. That is great. I like that a lot. Unfortunately, Fiona says some not so nice things about herself that Shrek overhears and mistakes for her bad-mouthing him and talking badly of him and ogres in general and quite upset yep it's a perfectly engineered misunderstanding in my books it's very satisfying because 
the conflict never feels contrived. It never feels easily solvable because you're not yelling at the characters to just talk because they did. They were just on different pages to begin with. I know you said that you don't hate this miscommunication and I don't know that I hate it, but I think it walks the line for me. It really toes the line. The next day, Fiona wanted to tell Shrek about her secret, but Shrek's already upset with her. So basically, Shrek is mean to Fiona. Fiona's hurt. So Fiona's mean back and it's just awful. And I don't think it's as tight and foolproof as you do. I think one of my pet peeves apparently is somebody overhearing something like this. I actually quite like that device in stories where overhearing something reveals information, but I dislike the thing where they overhear something and mistake it. Where they arrive just in time to hear the wrong thing, or they leave just in time to not get the context, whatever it is. I don't like characters overhearing things to fuel the misunderstanding. But that's just a personal pet peeve, and I don't think that they do it poorly, per se. I think it's it's believable that things play out the way that they did after this. Because like you said, they do talk afterwards. I still think they could have said more. I still think there's a possibility <laughs> for them to clear it up right away. But it's not that infuriating. It kind of reminded me... It's gonna sound absurd. <laughs> That's our specialty. But a parallel I could make is with High School Musical, where Gabriella overhears Troy saying all these horrible things, and then she just refuses to say anything. She refuses to let him explain or cuts him off when he's about to talk. And what I really like is that Shrek and Fiona do have a conversation, but they're just on fundamentally different pages without knowing it. I just really like that the dialogue, I mean, yeah, it is vague, but it just works to fuel both their misconceptions. And that's what I quite like. It's not just, you know, silent treatment. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It does toe the line because Shrek does arrive exactly in time <laughs> and he leaves just before they mention the curse again. So fair enough. I can see your point. Well, the High School Musical thing I think works for me <laughs> because that's the whole point that they specifically showed Gabriella a snippet. To me, that doesn't ping my overhearing radar because it seems like that was the point. But the not talking thing, he just opens his mouth and she's like, me too. <laughs> I don't want to do it either. I think that's why I like it. I wouldn't let him talk is the thing <laughs> because I don't know that he was lying or whatever. But you understand that the best way to resolve the conflict is to just talk about it. Well, I think that's what she's doing in her eyes. Like in her eyes, the conflict is that Troy's lying to her. So she's resolving it by ending it. Looking at it as an audience member who's detached from it. I understand why it's infuriating. Yeah, it's like, what you should say is, I overheard what you said, and that wasn't cool, and so I don't want to perform with you anymore. And that's still a conflict. It's like they just want us to suffer through Troy because he doesn't know what's going on. That's not what's happening here, because they both know what's going on, or so they think. I don't think Gabriela would say that, because to her, Troy is walking towards her to end it. Because what she heard is that Troy's like, I'm dropping out of the thing. And so what? She has to beat him to the punch? Like, you didn't yeah. dump me, I dumped you? Well, not about you didn't dump me, I dump you, but like just to get it over with. Just rip the band-aid off. I don't buy it. <laughs> it's fine if you don't buy it. I'm just saying like yeah. that's how I see it. Anyway. <laughs> but so what Shrek's done in his anger is that he's called Lord Farquaad over to pick Fiona up. And he's there and he immediately, you know, proposes marriage. And Fiona accepts, obviously, because this is what she needs to do. But Shrek is very upset how everything's gone down, so he lashes out at Donkey, and they finally do go their separate ways. It's actually a big fight this time around, and it's so dramatic, and it's just great. Yeah. Rain is falling, and... They're staring longingly out their window. Staring at the reflection in puddles, very Troy Bolton of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the scene was really funny just because they played up the emotional beat so much. I was sad when Shrek landed the last blow on Donkey and Donkey like doesn't follow him anymore, but it immediately transitions into <laughs> Hallelujah and it, I immediately burst out laughing. Actually, I do like the transitions in this scene and the parallels while Shrek is looking at his reflection in a muddy puddle. We transition to Fiona looking at herself in the mirror. She's getting ready for the wedding, but of course her mind is on Shrek 
in a way, they're on a very similar journey where they're having to contemplate their identities. But not long after, Donkey is already back again. And what I really love actually is that at first he's back because he's trying to claim his half of the swamp. He's saying, <laughs> I also saved Fiona, fuck you. This is our swamp. But then it quickly becomes a thing where that's not why Donkey's here. That's his excuse. It doesn't take long for him to say, no, I am fighting for our friendship. And the point of being friends with somebody is to solve problems. I fucking adore that. That friendship is encountering issues and then solving them instead of just never being at odds. And that also contrasts to, you know, Farquaad and what he values, like purity and everything. And it's in this confrontation or whatever that Donkey reveals that Fiona wasn't talking about Shrek that night. I'm actually is surprised that Shrek accepts it so quickly in Shrek's shoes. I would assume that Donkey is trying to placate me. Maybe it's Donkey's simple-mindedness. Donkey never pretends. Like, <laughs> even when he's trying to comfort Fiona, he's like, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, you are ugly. <laughs> That's true. He's so straightforward. But yeah, Donkey and Shrek reconcile and they go to stop the wedding. Donkey has run into the dragon from the castle at one point, so they fly on the dragon. And there's this really funny scene where Shrek just wants to burst in, and Donkey's like, no, 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 you gotta wait for the line. <laughs> <laughs> but because they're quote-unquote waiting for the line, they miss it entirely. <laughs> but they do end up going in, and like we mentioned, the citizens of Duloc are there and you know in addition to the fact that they are full-time studio audiences I think it's also an interesting way to show that they're just masses following whatever Lord Farquaad is making them do in multiple ways in ways that because they are under his tyranny but also their way of thinking is so shaped by him like they remind me a lot of the townsfolk in Beauty and the Beast because the whole point of those people is that they are so easily manipulated and you know it's like a herd mentality kind of thing but again it's like I quite like that this is present in conjunction to the fact that they are like in a totalitarian country mm -hmm. it's a lot more complex than you would expect <laughs> from a movie like this but shrek manages to stop the wedding he and fiona reconcile and fiona reveals her curse to everyone the sun is just setting and she turns into an ogre Farquaad is horrified and so he sends all the guards after them and they fight and long story short dragon eats him <laughs> yes <laughs> it's quite befitting i think that yeah i don't think i'm saying what you think i'm saying oh what are you gonna say <laughs> i was gonna say that i think it's very befitting that he's defeated by one of the magical creatures that he mm, was yeah. after and not just that but even in his demise he couldn't achieve that goal of royalty because dragon actually ends up spitting out the crown <laughs> <laughs> you're right what were you gonna say no i was just like yeah it's fitting that he gets eaten <laughs> yeah <laughs> i kind of deserved that <laughs> So Shrek and Fiona kiss and Fiona finally, you know, has the curse lifted and her love's true form is actually an ogre. So she's now a full-time ogre and... <laughs> like she's only doing it part-time. <laughs> freelance ogre. <laughs> she has a 401k now. <laughs> she's got health benefits and everything. But of course, because this is a movie from 2001, it ends with a dance party. Shrek and Fiona get married and... Donkey's a DJ? <laughs> yeah, Donkey's the DJ. They cut some corners. <laughs> at the end they get into an onion carriage oh, which is yeah. such a fun play on cinderella's pumpkin carriage <laughs> and that's the end of the movie yeah it's <laughs> fucking great so an absurd conclusion we don't have any <laughs> the movie is already so absurd i'm gonna say that fiona now gets full payment for being an ogre full-time she gets a salary and everything mm. she was on wages before this <laughs> um and she was working nights but <laughs> now she's got a yearly salary and normal working hours you know her tax bracket is a little higher <laughs> but it's got great benefits <laughs> and <laughs> yeah any snacks you want to recommend for this movie most of the foods i can think of are really disgusting onions <laughs> That's very fitting. So now that we've discussed this movie in excruciating detail, what are your thoughts on it now? Have your opinions changed? Would you recommend it? My opinions have absolutely not changed and I would recommend it. Yeah, I think it's a very clever take 
on fairy tales and anyone who accuses it of being a bunch of jokes bundled together is basically doing the same thing as the characters in this movie and not looking beyond the surface because there's lots to uncover. I can understand that it can be a lot, but I think this movie deserves for everyone to at least give it one chance. What about you? My opinions have changed. I mean, I knew that people love this movie and that it actually is a good movie, but I was still under the impression that it was entirely absurd. That, like, it has substance, but that's, like, secondary, whereas now that I've seen it, I know that it is entirely substance. (laughs) There's no really divorcing the substance from the movie. So yeah, I definitely recommend this movie. I especially recommend it with friends. It's a great watch. Yay! Another person converted. My mission is complete. (laughs) So next episode is a special one for us because it marks our one year anniversary since we started The Graveyard Slot. So we will be revisiting the first ever movie we discussed on the podcast, Twilight. Yeah, the things I do for this podcast. (laughs) Some sacrifices must be made. Yeah, well, we're hoping to maybe look at it from a different perspective, get some new takes. But also, I think, you know what will will be interesting? What our perspective will be this time around, not just like, because it's it's my second time watching Twilight, but also because we've gone through a whole year's worth of TGS. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have a new perspective, I would think. I would hope the spot has changed us somehow. (laughs) Yeah, I'll never quite be the same again after watching some of these movies. Maybe after some of the stuff we've seen, we can, you know, appreciate Twilight more. Though I've got my doubts. (laughs) After Letters to Juliet, any romance would be better. I'm glad to hear you're feeling so optimistic about it. (laughs) But yeah, since Twilight has become such a significant movie. Our mascot. (laughs) For this podcast, if you have any thoughts or significant experiences with the movie that you'd like to share please feel free to do so (laughs) yeah (laughs) email us or tag us or whatever write us a letter (laughs) (laughs) write us a sternly worded letter tell us how much you love it but yeah it should be a fun time happy anniversary to us (laughs) (laughs) all right so that's it for our episode on shrek If you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram, or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot.